0: Glad to see all of you. I got to meet some new uh, new faces, shake some old hands. Not old in the sense that, well, you get it. I I already knew you. And for some of and for some of you, it's true. So, <laughs> you hit the shoe fits. Um, somebody just uh, I was talking with somebody. They appreciated my honesty. Sometimes I, uh, they say if it's if it's true, if it's nice, if it's necessary, right. Um, I don't always filter my, what I say through all of those filters. Uh, sometimes it's true, but it's not necessary. But I am glad to be here, glad to have you here this morning. Um, in keeping with our thoughts of uh, keeping, uh, getting back to the basics and keeping the main things the main things, we want to keep doing that. Um, really, that will always be my M.O., but the first week I was here with you, I, I said I was gonna, there's four things you could expect from me as your pastor. Uh, that'd be a, I'd be a man of this book because I don't have much to say to you apart from what God has said to us in his written word, right? Uh, that I, uh, in addition to that, because uh, God didn't just leave us his word, he left his spirit, he's the comforter, the counselor. Uh, and so I would be uh, tempted to be led by the spirit in all that I do, um, to exalt Christ in all that we do and say, uh, from this pulpit, from these uh, these songs that we sing, um, to exalt Christ in all to the honor and glory of God the Father. So. Uh, with all those things in mind, we keep, continue to kind of keep focused on the the main things, uh, back to basics. Um, and uh, last week, I introduced you to an idea that I've kind of adopted and kind of tailored to the idea of of leading a church. And that was a it came from a CEO. It said uh, walked into a boardroom, and if you don't remember what it, what it was, or so we weren't here, uh, a CEO of some restaurant chain. They were kind of dwindling, and their their numbers were decreasing. Their 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 um, uh, they weren't making as much money, and it looked like they might start having to shut down restaurants. And, and uh, uh, they were talking in the boardroom about how they need to have a bigger menu. They need to have more locations. And the CEO walks in, he sits down, and he says, and instantly changes the tone in the room, and says, no, we need to get better. We don't need to get bigger. We need to get better. And when we get better, the, the public will demand that we get bigger. Uh, and so I used that kind of tailored to the idea of leading a church. And uh, um, so I've added, uh, added a line to it, thinner, better, bigger. We want to narrow our focus so that when we have that narrow focus, we look at all the things that we have to be good at, we have to be excellent at. Uh, and when we get good at those things, we narrow that focus so that we can get good at those things. Down the road, I'm, I'm interested in looking forward to implementing some of the ideas, I, a lot of ideas coming to me. Uh, from you all, I, and I don't want to ever squash your excitement or your motivation. Uh, I love that. I want to keep that going and stoke the fires of your excitement for the kingdom, um, knowing that we can't implement every idea right now, right? Uh, so we want to uh, get narrow in our focus so we can get excellent in what we do, what we present on Sunday morning, and then as God uh, permits and blesses, we can add things to it because we will have more people coming in. We will be bigger, and we'll be able to tackle more things uh, for the kingdom. And so I'm excited about that. I had a conversation, actually had a couple conversations with Roe this week. Uh, he's a nice guy, I like him. You should like him too. Um, we, we should well we, that's right, we, we love Roe. We don't we don't we don't just like him. Uh, I'm still deciding. But <laughs> no, he's an easy guy to love, but um Ro and I were were discussing um Amen. Uh we were discussing uh how it's to our chagrin that, that at times the church loses sight of, of what the gospel, what the good news, what, what has come to us as good news, what it truly cost, the son. And we should, we should never, when that starts to happen, we need to remind ourselves where we came from. We, we need to remind ourselves where uh, the only good thing that we ever, we ever encounter came from. It's not from us. Um, good doesn't originate with us. Uh, we, we know the, the doctrine of total depravity, right? Not much of us is, is good for much anything. I, I, I told you last week that you are not who you are at your shiniest moment of the week. You are who you are most authentically at your worst moment of the week. When you don't want anybody to see you, that's who you are. You are also those shiny moments, but, but, but so often we focus on just what we bring to Sunday morning. We shine ourselves up. We get dressed up. We, we we carry our Bibles in, and and we can present whatever face we want. But anyway, we we uh, we owe it all to Jesus. That's why all these songs can't make too much about Jesus, um, and all these all these songs exalt Jesus. We lose sight, though, of uh, of what that good news for us cost Him. And, and I I got thinking about how that occurred. Roe and I talked about this a little bit, and I want to take a stab at how that occurred. Uh, you know. A number of decades ago, some of you uh, alive to experience it, but we, uh, we saw a, a, a period of time in our country where people were experiencing very heavily with drugs and, and uh, the hippie scene and just trying to find spiritual truth with, in, in whatever pill or whatever thing that they could try to find it. Uh, and, of course, the church responded in a number of different ways. One of the ways the church responded was uh, is that those that did find Jesus, kind of they kept the long hair and they kept, some, they kept the flip-flops on, but they, they started following Jesus. The Jesus movement kind of was birthed out of that. But another movement came out of Another spring uh, was brought forth out of that as well, and that was uh, more of the fundamentalist movement. Uh, that fundamentalist movement was a reaction to the pendulum swinging back and forth, and the, the fundamentalist movement was a reaction to this sort of, uh, uh, where do we stand as a church? We, we, need to, we need a list of things that we don't dabble in. We don't do these things. And with, the, with right intentions, the church then separated. They, they demarcated a line where we won't, we won't cross this line. Uh, we don't, and it and up becoming a very legalistic sort of list of things, mostly things that you didn't stand for, mostly things that you didn't do. Uh, not things that we, we as kingdom people should stand for things we, we do. Uh, We should have some things that we're about, not just things that we're not about. Uh, But it was, I I think, rightly intended, but uh, wrong-headed in its approach. And so the pendulum swings back. uh, And we saw a hyper-grace movement kind of take place, where uh, grace became uh, almost a a cheap sort of knockoff variety, where, where grace was no longer deep and meaningful and costly. Grace costs a great deal. It's free to us, but just like so many other things that are free to us, they aren't cheap. We live in, I believe, one of the greatest nations on earth. And our freedom is free to us. We're born that way. Praise God for that. That we're not, We don't have people knocking down our doors trying to come in and arrest me right now. Not yet. But our freedom is free to us, but that doesn't mean it's cheap to us. It costs the lives of men and women who are willing to give their lives for religious freedom. For freedom of speech. And a number of other freedoms so maybe free, but it's not cheap. And so as we see the, the pendulum swing in favor of a, a hyper grace or, or license, I, I can do whatever I want under the sun because God will forgive me. Grace is big enough to cover that. And thank God that where sin did abound, grace did that much more abound. God's grace is deeper and wider and fuller and richer, and, and, uh, and all those things than any sin that we can commit. But that doesn't mean, as Paul said, um, should I sin that grace might abound? May it never be. God forbid that I sin just to elevate grace. But that grace, because I love that grace, and I understand that it wasn't cheap, that I, that I live my life accordingly. But it's easy, as we see the church doing so frequently over the years, it's easy to get out of balance, and to focus on one thing to the neglect of, or to the uh, absence of, something else. Whether it's grace, whether it's uh, uh, freedom, whether it's license, separatism, it's easy to get out of focus, out of balance. I had another meeting with Roe, I had a lot of meetings with Roe this week. We we met actually in, in uh, this room here to talk about. Our church has an app. If you didn't know that, we have an app, um, and we have a website. And most churches have a website. Not all churches have apps. Uh, we have both, so that doesn't make us better. Well, does it? It it does a little bit. Uh, no, but what it needs to be updated is so we wanted to meet for 30 to 45 minutes to just sit down and talk about what updates need to take place and get that, get that app and the, the website current. Uh, we were in there for about five minutes, and already our conversation got derailed about other things. We talked about food. We talked about sports. We talked about a number of things. But we kept getting derailed. And so it was illustrative of, of the, the fact that we get so easily distracted. You see something shiny. And our, and our abilities to maintain focus on the thing that we set out to maintain focus on is, is it quickly interrupted. That happened with a church uh, that was founded early in Paul's ministry, a church of Galatia. Actually, many churches. Galatia was a region in uh, Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. So if you just want to have a picture of where we're talking about, modern-day Turkey. And these churches of Galatia got off track not long after being founded. You can read about that. If you want to read about the churches in Galatia, Acts chapters 13 and 14 for the southern part of Galatia and Acts chapters 16 and 18 for the northern uh, portion of Galatia. We're not going to get into that right now. Um, But this is what is probably birthing a a new series out of Galatians. I I intend, uh, so long as the Spirit allows, uh, to preach verse by verse through the book of Galatians. I told you last week, I warned you, I'm a verse by verse guy. Uh, Sometimes painstakingly. Uh, verse by verse. Uh, how many months did it take me to get through Acts? 21. That is very good. That is very good. So 21 months to get through 28 chapters in Acts. And that's not, that's not crazy. Um, but uh, some, some have said, uh, I was talking to to, to Paul, and, and uh, he, he, had a, uh, he had a men's study that took, I think, six years to get through the book of Acts. Uh, and there's, we could have done that. We could spend that much time on a book like Acts. Uh, the early churches. If you don't know, the book of Acts is the first 30 years of the, of the church's history. Really rich with, uh, with detail, with, uh, with, uh, um, with narrative, with uh, knowing how things came to be. A uh, beautiful book, but I mean, this is a new series out of Galatians. We're going to be preaching verse by verse through that book. Um, this is perhaps the earliest uh, book that Paul wrote. Uh, it's in competition with maybe First and Second Thessalonians as one of the earliest uh, epistles. That's just a fancy word for letter. Um, so one of the earliest epistles of Paul, uh, and so if that's the case, if it's the earliest Pauline epistle, it means that it's the earliest Christian canonical writing that we have. And what I mean by canonical is just that it's it's recognized as scripture; it's in the canon of scripture. So uh, this is this is a, a, some amazing stuff. This is the earliest, perhaps the earliest book that we have that would come to be identified. Uh, as God's part of God's word. So really good stuff. So what was it that he was up against? We're going to get to that uh, in a moment. I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 1 if you have your Bibles. I don't have the text for the screen this week, and I apologize for that. Um, we'll try to do better with that in the weeks to come. Galatians chapter 1 and verses 1 through 10. At least the reference is up there, right? At least the reference is up there. So I didn't fail you completely. I just failed you most, partially. partially. I was going to say mostly, but just partially. Thanks, Jill. Appreciate that. All right, so I'm going to read through the text, and we'll, uh, um, rather quickly, we'll, we'll, we'll dig back into uh, the verse-by-verse stuff uh, uh, the second time around. So for, uh, Galatians 1, 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and so I now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And before we we go verse by verse through that, let's just open a word of prayer. Lord and Father, we need your presence here this morning. Uh, We ask, Lord, that you fill this place with your Spirit's power, Lord, that uh, you would uh, speak powerfully through me. Lord, that uh, even though I stutter and stammer through these things, Lord, that you would make what what happens between my lips and their ears, Lord, something beautiful, uh, something impactful, something encouraging, something convicting maybe. Uh, Lord, that uh, for each person here this morning, that they would get exactly out of this message, Lord, what you would have for them to get. Be mighty in this place, Lord, we want to lift you uh, high. As we sang in some of these songs, exalting your name and putting you in your rightful place. Help us to do that well this morning, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so back to verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. So Paul's addressing this early letter. uh, to. I was talking to somebody last week, and I said, you know, I, I actually thank God for early church heretics. Anybody ever thought to thank God for early church heretics? Probably not, right? Maybe you will after today. The reason I thank God for early church heretics is because they gave rise to early church fathers responding to early church heretics. And so in those areas where the Bible is less clear, we have uh, we have witness to uh, what the apostles maybe were teaching at that time. Uh, through the early church fathers, those that some of them even knew the apostles. If you go back early enough, Polycarp and, and others, they, they would have been associates of some of the apostles. Uh, and so um, I, I thank God for the early church heretics. Not because of what they taught, because... because out of that came a fountain of church literature that we can now look back on and say, yeah, the, 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 the consistent testimony of Scripture and the early church fathers throughout history has been this. We know that we don't need to depart from this because we have the standard, and it's been steady all throughout church history. Not without exception, but, but Paul's responding to uh, an attack, a twofold attack. So the book of Galatians is a response to that twofold attack. And if you're taking notes, the first one is an attack on Paul's apostleship. This is nothing new. Paul uh, Paul responded to this a number of times, but Paul's apostleship is under attack, and also the gospel that he shared. And we're going to speak more. The message is mostly geared towards uh, the talk about the gospel, but we're going to start with his apostleship. See. Rival missionaries, Paul comes in, he plants these churches, and then he has to leave because his business is to plant more churches, to go down the road and continue to do that. And so Paul does that. And in, in the void of Paul being away, remember a few weeks back we talked about when he left the Ephesians, he said, hey, when I leave, savage wolves are going to come in. And they're going to try to steal you away from the flock. They're going to do this. Because when there's a spiritual void, Satan looks to fill that void with anything. Anything anti-Jesus. And so here we have just a, just a subtle sort of, hey, you don't really believe Paul, do you? Paul wasn't 100% accurate, was he? So he start asking those questions and challenging what he was teaching. So his apostleship is under attack. These rival missionaries uh, that are uh, under the Jerusalem apostles, they, they know the Jerusalem apostles, and they're, they're thinking themselves maybe better than Paul, because Paul didn't have the same story. You recall that the 12 apostles knew Jesus. They sat at his feet for his teaching. They spent time with him during his three-year ministry on earth. Paul didn't have that privilege. Uh, and So he was one born out of due time, as, as, he, as he describes himself. So he was not one of the twelve, nor an associate or student of Jesus' earthly ministry. And if you want to go uh, look at what the uh, book of Acts kind of defines as the apostle, Acts chapter 1, verses 21 through 22. Now, we're not, not going to get into debate of whether apostles exist today. Some would say yes. Some would say uh, no. I think most, inclined, most here are inclined to say they still exist. Others would say no, apostle was a once, uh, once in the church office. We're not going to get there, but, but Acts chapter 1, verses 21 through 22, if you want to see the qualifications. So Paul's apostleship is under attack. His whole ministry is under attack. And he, he doesn't look to a man or the blessing of some person to, to claim his authority. No, he says uh, his encounter with Christ and his appointment from God is all that he needed. But he says it was not from men or through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. The encounter with Christ on that road to Damascus when he blinded Paul. And you can read about his conversion in Acts chapter 9 if you're interested in trying to keep up with these, these many references. There will be a lot of them, and I apologize if there are too many. But uh, if you want to try to piece these things together and see the, the Bible as one, one big story, one big narrative, uh, it is possible to do. It just takes some work. But the thing was that Paul didn't need anybody's permission to be called by God. And I, and I want to suggest to you this morning that if you feel called by God to do something for his kingdom, you don't either. Now, I want to be careful not to just not to just encourage everybody to run out and say, I, I feel called to preach or teach or whatever, whatever it might be. Be discerning about it. Get in your scriptures and find out what it is that you think God's calling you to do. But you don't need man's permission or blessing, but God's to do so. And, and the fact is, here, this has been my story. And this is not, this is not to disparage anybody in my past, but when I, saw, I felt called to preach, most of the people closest to me in my life, you, you, you felt what? You did Huh? And, and not because they didn't believe that God could call me. They just thought, well, that's a, that's a, that's a serious thing to say. That's a, and so, so you might experience, don't take it as a God telling, shutting that door. If you feel God calling you uh, to something, don't feel like God's shutting the door simply because the people closest to you are not pat you on the back. They may very well not. If God's called you to it, God will call you through it and bring you through it, and you need to do it. And so Paul's apostleship is, is under attack. Um, but he did not need the approval of mankind. I was once asked by another minister what I thought of ordination, of being ordained. And, and it just kind of jumped out of my mouth that sometimes things do, right? And sometimes I say things and then I think about what I just said instead of thinking and then saying things. Um, but I, I was asked what I thought about ordination, and being ordained, and I said not much. And they looked at me like, And uh, I said, let me explain myself. There's 1,189 chapters in the Bible. That's a big book. And if God wanted to teach me one thing out of each chapter, that's almost 1,200 things I need to keep straight. Don't bring me your extra stuff. I've, I've got all that I can do to handle, just try to handle this, Right? And so that was my feeling, right? that I don't need the, the extra scaffolding. If God's called me to do it, God has already blessed it, he's going to bring me through it. Right? And I think the same thing is true for any of you that might be feeling that tug to get more involved in church, to get more involved in kingdom, to get more involved in what you see going on week to week. These things don't happen by themselves. For every, for every minute of service that takes place, somebody sat and thought and prayed about it for an hour or two i don 't know how long Jill takes to pick songs, but I I, I I assume that she she spends a good amount of time praying about things and thinking about things all right so um, for every minute of production that you see going on there 's all sorts of prayer work and and, uh, and study and preparation, and sometimes wrestling with God. I mean I was wrestling with God all week saying, hey, you've to give me a message you, you know it 's Friday, right? I mean, I know it 's Friday, do you know it 's Friday?" Sunday is Sundays right after Saturday, which is after Friday. And I need a message for Sunday. Um, and, uh, and he said, he just kept saying, hold on. You just, you just hold on. I've got this, and, and you need to know that I've got this. Um, so Saturday it was. Uh, when the message started finally coming together, but if God calls you to he'll bring you through it. Um, so Paul, in a letter addressed to the churches of Galatia, defends his apostleship and his gospel. Uh, his, his address to the people in Galatia is nothing new. So Paul starts out in verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, you understand, That's a, those are kind of common things. You see those in every one of Paul's letters. The only variation you actually see is in, the, is in the pastoral epistles. So the letters that are to pastors. And the word that he adds in the ones to the pastors is the word mercy. Thank you, Paul. I, I can appreciate that. Uh, Grace and peace, and also because you're going to be standing up there teaching people and and having tomatoes thrown at you occasionally, mercy as well. And so I can appreciate Paul for that. But he he has a standard greeting. But Paul understands that grace and peace are very uh, huge concepts. They come through Jesus and are in his inaugurated kingdom. It's not yet uh, consummated. It's it's inaugurated, but it's not yet fully consummated. So we only get shadows of those things, grace and peace, that we're we're looking forward to. But he starts out, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Now, we know Jesus to be the judge of all the earth. One of the things that he's called in scripture, the judge of all the earth. So, Don't miss the backwardness here of, what does it say again? The Lord Jesus Christ, the judge of all the earth, who gave himself for our sins. Talk about the cost of our salvation. like The cost of of what this good news coming to us, what it cost the Father, what it cost the Son, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. We have here trappings of uh, a greater theological concept called the penal substitutionary view of the atonement. So penal meaning uh, legal. There, there, is a, there is a debt owed that we could not pay. Christ steps in the gap for us and takes our beating. And by his stripes we are healed. So he's a substitutionary lamb that that steps into the gap. He's the judge. He He should be pushing executions and justice and all these things on us who are guilty. Who stand totally depraved in front of a righteous God. With nothing to offer but filthy rags. Instead he steps in that gap. And says I've got this. And lay my back bare. He understood fully what it would cost him to have the Father turn his back on him in a cartoonish way and also to keep me from crying up here. As a child, twice in my childhood, I remember um, offering to take my, one of my sisters' punishment. I can't remember who it was, uh, what they did. But I went to my parents thinking, I'm going to put this hero cape on. They're going to be so moved by my generosity. They're just going to forget this whole nonsense that ever happened. She won't get spanked. I won't get spanked. It's going to be good. So I waltzed up and said, hey, I'd like to take her punishment. They said, all right. Uh, so they started they start looking in the yard for a switch. I'm just kidding you. They already had one made. It, it actually had air holes in it so you could travel faster. Um, and uh, some of you can relate. You're kind of sitting on one side because the other the other side hurts. And uh, I went to my parents and said, "Hey, I'd like to I'd like to take her punishment for." Her. And, and they said they talked about it for a little bit. They went they kind of went around the corner and talked privately, and they came back and said, "You know what? We're just going to forgive this whole thing." And I was like, "I knew it. I knew it. It worked." And so uh, I don't know if it's a couple years down the road it happens again. I'm thinking, "All right, I think I still have to know where that cape is. I'm going to get that cape out and." Throw that thing on, dust it off, and and I said I'd like to take her punishment again, and uh, they said all right. They got the they got the paddle out. I was like, wait, hold on a second. This didn't. It's not the way this went last time. Uh, last time I recall you just forgiving the whole thing, and uh, and this time they followed through with it, and uh, don't think ill of my parents. Um, it was, a, it was a lesson to all of us and that sometimes when you open your mouth and insert foot, it costs you something. And far from the cartoonish example I just gave you of me being heroic as an eight or nine year old, um, Jesus the Christ knew the full extent of what he was saying when he said, I'll stand in the gap for you. Might we never minimize that or or think it uh, of little cost? Delivering us from the present evil age. In Paul's mind, some of you get wrapped up in some theological systems, uh, some different periods of church age or the dispensations or or things like that. That's fine to try to neatly uh, coordinate things. But Paul, in his mind, he really only saw two ages. He saw this present evil age and he saw the age to come. Uh, which was inaugurated with the kingdom of, uh, that Jesus brought and will be consummated when he is sitting properly on his, on his throne in the new heavens, the new earth. Revelation 21 and 22, if you want to read about that. In verse 6, this is where Paul would normally take a minute to say what he's thankful for about these churches. I'm thankful for your prayers, I'm thankful for your love offering, I'm thankful for whatever, and here Paul doesn't do that. Paul gets right to the chase. He says in verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. In the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul's astonished, he's shocked, he's taken aback. Because this is crazy talk. To substitute the majesty of the pure, unadulterated gospel for the crushing weight of a Jesus plus law gospel, which is really no gospel at all. You see, to explain what he's dealing with is what's what's called in the Bible the Judaizers. Uh, Those who sought to add to the gospel of Jesus because it simply wasn't enough. At the end of the day, when Jesus says, I am all you need, Put your faith and trust in me. Lean into me. That's all you need because you can't do anything anyway. That doesn't make you feel good because you you want to have something to offer the king. And so you say, well, it's, it's, it's you, but it's plus these other things. What does Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tell us? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. You have no place in boasting about your salvation because you had nothing to do with it. He's astonished that these Judaizers would try to add something to the, uh, the, the perfection, the majesty of the, of the unadulterated gospel. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 29 and 30, Take my yoke upon you. For my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What he's not saying is that his responsibility is easy. But Jesus carried more weight than anybody. What he's saying is what I offer you. Through my sacrifice, what I offer you is so much easier than the crushing weight of the law. You don't have to be 51% righteous to get into heaven. The fact is you're not 1%. But in Christ, you're 100%. Why would you try to meddle with that? Why would you try to distort that? Why would you try to add some of your filthy rags to that and say, isn't it better now? Doesn't it look prettier now, Jesus? I threw a pile of filthy rags on top of what you just did. It's an insult. You're so quickly deserting. This is a military term meaning to turn away, to go AWOL. From the person you should have given your loyalty to, your allegiance to. These are supremely important elements of authentic faith. You know, Just like in the book of James, it says, uh, You show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Works to demonstrate an authentic faith because you can't truly have a faith, a truly have put your trust in Jesus without it naturally turning into good works. It just, it, it isn't real. If it's not leading to that, it's not real. And you've got to check yourself about that. In the same way, loyalty and allegiance are important elements of an authentic faith, an authentic commitment. If I say I'm, I'm committed to my wife, one of At the most basic place of that, what it means is that I'm not unfaithful to her. I can't in any meaningful way be faithful, be committed to my wife, if by definition I'm not. The same thing must be true of our commitment to the gospel and the truth of the gospel, the true expression of the gospel here, there, so quickly deserting the thing that Paul first taught them when he planted that church. They want to distort the gospel of Christ. He says there's only one true gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are those who trouble you and want to distort it. One of my favorite Bible teachers, Bob Utley, uh, he's got one of my reasons for him being one of my favorite teachers is all his stuff is offered free online. Written commentaries, audio commentaries, video commentaries, all of it's free. Um, and he preaches in, in uh, somewhat of a Southern Baptist tradition, but he is a very... A gracious when with his dealing with all other uh, walks of faith. And he says this, he says the gospel is not about Jesus, the gospel is Jesus. And I want to make sure that we don't truncate what the gospel means or what the gospel is. The gospel is not about Jesus, the gospel is Jesus. Tom Wright, another one of my favorite teachers, says uh, the gospel is the announcement that Jesus, the crucified Messiah, is exalted as the Lord of the whole world. Therefore he is calling into existence a single Worldwide family. And the problem that they had, these Jews had with Paul and his message, is that it was worldwide. You didn't have to become Jewish first in order to be accepted. If you remember in Acts chapter 15, they, they, they had this thing called the Jerusalem Council. And, and I don't know if Galatians was written before or after that, uh, but they dealt with the same exact thing. These Judaizers said, look, we understand you want to be part two Christian, but first you have to be part one Jew. And the gospel actually blew the hinges off that door and said, you don't have to be part one anything. You come to Christ and Christ alone because that's where salvation is found. That's where kingdom is found. That's where redemption is found is in Christ. Not in your your weak works or attempts to to, to impress a God who's not impressed by your religion anyway. He's calling into existence a single worldwide family. What you think matters so much to me about the unity of the kingdom? And for that, for that uh, sake, why I use the word kingdom instead of gospel so often. Um, the word gospel, I believe in our time, has been truncated to mean, uh, and, and, and check me if I'm right on this, right now if I say gospel, you're thinking my own individual salvation, right? A lot of you are thinking salvation, good news. It comes from the Greek word euangelion, which means literally good news. What's the good news? The part of it that's good news for us and we've stripped away all the other parts about Jesus being high and lifted up and being king, is it just means I get fire insurance, I can avoid the consuming fire of hell. That, that's in the box somewhere. But I want to suggest to you that it's not on the top shelf. Our individual salvation comes by way of Jesus being high and lifted up, because Jesus is to be high and lifted up. A part of what it means to, 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 to know the good news is that Jesus is properly seated on his throne ruling and reigning perfectly in his kingdom. And part of that is, yes, he's provided a way of escape for us. We shouldn't maximize that. We should maximize the supremacy of Christ in all that we do. And minimize us. He must increase. We must decrease. And part of that comes by using terms the right way, which is why I avoid the word gospel, not because it's a bad word, because the way that we've treated it the last 20 years in the church has truncated the meaning. But kingdom still has that fuller, richer meaning. that has Jesus properly seated on his throne. Paul continues, verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. Really, Paul? Let him be accursed? As we have said before, so we now say again, just in case you didn't get it the first time, Paul says it again, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed a curse. So if you are preaching gospel that doesn't have the elements I just explained to you in it, or you're preaching another way, some other contrary, alternate way of getting to heaven, of obtaining eternal life, these are words for you. If that's true of you, these are words for you. I don't say that lightly. I don't like offending people. I like even less offending God. And so I will say hard words when they need to be said. When when. God's word presents them, right? Paul offers this hypothetical, this unlikely hypothetical. He says, even look, even if I stoop to the place where I'm, I'm teaching a different gospel than I taught you before, don't listen to me and let me be accursed. As I'm so fond of saying, as Paul said too, follow me as I follow Christ. The suggestion being, if I stop following Christ, stop following me. It should never have been, should never be about me. Um, And uh, it should never be about you. It should be always about, always and ever about Jesus. But these are strong words. Let him be accursed. The Greek word is anathema. Probably standing behind that is the Hebrew word harem. Which means let him be dedicated to God. You say, well that's not so bad. For destruction. Let him be dedicated to God for destruction. In other words, let him be consigned to the consuming fires of hell for daring to preach a different or a contrary or an alternate gospel. And Paul finishes with a a rhetorical question. I love Paul's rhetorical questions. You know a rhetorical question. It doesn't need to be answered. It's obvious by the question. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I now trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You can't do both, right? You can only have one master as Jesus himself said in the Sermon on the Mount. And there he's contrasting with uh, serving uh, worldly things, money or mammon. He says you can't be a servant of more than one thing. You're either going to love the one and and hate the other, or hold to the one and despise the other. But you you can't serve both God and money. You can't serve both God and these these falsehoods, these anti-gods that crop up. Who thinks Paul is a people pleaser? If if that was Paul's attempt, he was not very good at it. If that was Paul's attempt, he was not very good at it. If you read through the book of Acts and find Paul pleasing people, it's very few. And it's the apostles. And not even all of them all the time. If he was attempting to please people, he did a very terrible job at it. We have no room for people pleasing. There's no room in the kingdom for people pleasing for tickling of ears, for making people feel good in their sin, for making people feel like it's okay, Johnny, it's all right if you just keep doing that, to your wife, to your family, it's all right. You're destroying everything around you, but it's okay. Grace is big enough to cover that. Yes, it is. Don't flirt with that. Don't make a mockery of the grace of Jesus Christ by continuing down the same destructive path that you've already set out. People-pleasing is an impossible proposition in the first place. You've heard the adage, you can please all the people some of the time. You can please some of the people all the time, but you cannot please all the people all the time. I would say there's some people you can't please any of the time. You ever met some of them? Not my favorites. But you get it. If we we are committed to pleasing people, we'll never do it anyway. If you please and serve Jesus, the right people will be pleased with you. It might be a small group. That's okay. Jesus only had 12. And really only 11. If you aim to serve Jesus and uh, and please him, the right people will be pleased. But if you aim to please and serve people, the only one that matters will not be. We serve an audience of one. We do what we do for an audience of one. There's not any room for anybody else to share any glory. I was just reading my, my, my Bible reading the other day that, that, that he doesn't share his glory. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back out as I close the service out. So how does this hit us in a modern day culture? How does this, how does this uh, come to us in, in the modern day? Well, I would suggest to you that in, in modern culture, not only are we competing with different expressions or distortions of the gospel, we're contending with people that don't even believe in truth as a thing to be pursued anyway. We, we, we live in a day and age that people believe that relativism is, is, the, is the new kid on the block. And what's true for you is true for you. Nothing can be further from the truth. I stand in solidarity with Paul. He says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe to me, because I am not just guilty of steering somebody wrong. It's not just another alternate path. This is not Google Maps where you can change the route and still get to the same place. Uh, On this count, not all roads lead to Rome. I'd, I'd rather suggest that you think about it like this. There's one path that leads to Jesus. There's one way to the Father. The man Christ Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so if you are willing to settle for a substitute and then then communicate that to somebody else, you are not just putting them in an alternate route to Rome. You are putting them in a crash course with destruction. That's a heavy thing. The stakes could not be higher. The cost of the departure from the exclusivity of the truth, and it is exclusive. Jesus intended for it to be exclusive. Don't be embarrassed by that. Staying with Paul, woke woe to me and woe to you if we do not preach the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reminders in Scripture of what you're all about. Lord, we thank you for even the difficult words, Lord, that uh, are hard to preach, they're hard to read, they're hard to think about sometimes. But Lord, we, we need to meditate on them, we need to live our lives by them. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning who is not certain that they have recognized you as their Lord and Savior, Lord. They call you king. See you high and lifted up, Lord. If there's anybody that hasn't made that personal choice to make you the king of their lives, the Lord of their lives, Lord, might you your spirit stir in them uh, such a discontentedness about the position they're in right now, Lord, that they would, continue, they, would, they would pursue you with everything they've got. They wouldn't leave here this morning without talking to one of us about how they can know for sure that they... They serve and please the King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, we thank you for our time together this morning. We pray these things in your name.